Well, hey everyone, my name is Steven and I am one of the pastors here at Journey Church. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to this message. We pray that this helps you on your walk with Jesus, but also that it encourages you to get plugged into a local community of believers. Hey, if 2020 taught us anything, it's that being isolated from others is not how God intended us to live. So be sure to use this resource in conjunction with being plugged into your local church. Hey, we hope you enjoy this message from God's Word. We are going to turn to God's Word here this morning. Having been able to celebrate communion, we've celebrated and we've worshiped God in multiple ways today. We've worshiped him through the uh, lifting of our voices. We have worshiped him through the uh, sharing of communion together. Now we have the opportunity to worship him through getting into his word today. I I just want to give you a quick, um, uh, just a a promo on where we are going uh, for this uh, ser- the next coming sermon series. Uh, starting next week, we are going to be going into uh, a sermon series that we are going to be calling 10 Great Words for Life. Uh, the purpose of this sermon series is to cover the Ten Commandments. Um, I'm excited to be able to get into this because we're going to take a fresh biblical look at the Ten Commandments and how those Ten Commandments impact our lives today. They really, these Ten Commandments become the heart of the Christian. It becomes the heart of the purpose of our lives. It becomes the summary statement of why we exist and why we live. And you're going to find some incredible things as we go through the Ten Commandments and probably learn things in this that you've not ever heard before about the Ten Commandments. So I'm excited to be able to get into that with you. We're going to start next week. We're going to do an introduction. That'll be February 13th. And the week after, we are going to have uh, Grant Clark, who's going to be here speaking for us. And I had mentioned last week that Grant is going to be joining our staff uh, June, at the beginning of June. We are very excited to have him here. If there's one area that I really feel like we are missing as a church, that is connection. It is it is just feeling connected, feeling welcome, feeling loved. Loved, and uh, he is going to be that uh, and, and fulfill that role and be a wonderful uh, representation of that for us. I'm so excited to have him come. If you know Grant, you will already know that that is his personality. He is a magnetic personality. He draws people in. Um, we uh, and so I'm just thankful for that. He will be a uh, just a large presence in our church, and you will get to know him and love him, and he will be loving on you. Um, he is in many ways everything that I am not in a pastor. I'm probably everything that he is not in a pastor too. So there's going to be wonderful compliments there uh, when you add Stephen and Chris into the mix. In all of that, we really um, together make a pretty good person. One pretty good person out of all four of us. So um, I'm about 50%. The other guys are about, you know, I don't know, what would that be, 16.6667%. That's what they account for, but I'm about 50% right there. So I'm kidding. We're all combined. We really bring to the table, I think, uh, just good things for the church. So I'm excited to have him here, excited to speak, have him speak. And then the week after that, we will actually get into covering uh, commandment number one. And that'll be the uh, week after. That will be, I think, the 27th of, of February. Today, we are going to finish up the series that we had started right after the first of the year on this little book called Philemon. Philemon is about being reconciled in relationship. It's a small little book, just a handful of verses that it covers, and it's about the relationship that this guy named Philemon had with his servant, whose name was Onesimus. Now, 
Onesimus ran away from home. Onesimus was a slave in the household of Philemon. They would be in slavery for multiple reasons in that day, but most often it was because of debt. If, you, um, if we had the same system today, most of America would be in slavery because we have so much debt. We can't pay the debt, and because of that, we are in bondage to whomever the master is. This particular re, uh, situation... One Onesimus was a slave in the household of Philemon, probably because of debt. Maybe he was born into that. Maybe his parents were in debt. For whatever reason, that was the situation. He had a servant, Onesimus. Onesimus ran away from home. He went from Colossae, where they lived. He went to Rome. At Rome, Onesimus met Paul in some manner, some way, and Onesimus got right with the Lord. He got saved. He gave his heart to the Lord, and he felt the conviction of God that he needed to go back, and he needed to make amends with Philemon. And that's what Paul was encouraging him to do. So Paul wrote this short little letter, gave it to Onesimus. Onesimus went to Philemon, and Onesimus and Philemon, we think, had a reconciled relationship. Forgiveness happened. Sorrow happened. They said, I'm sorry, would you please forgive me? And reconciliation began to occur. And that is God's heart. Colossians 3.13, it says, Bearing with one another and forgiving each other if anyone has a grievance against another. Just as the Lord pardoned you, so also you must pardon others. So what we have been looking at is extending forgiveness and seeking forgiveness. Today is the final message in this, and it's going to be about the seeking of forgiveness. Now, we have talked in the three other messages about this idea of forgiveness. You must forgive. It's a biblical command. It is something that God expects. He expects each one of us to be forgiving. If it is a small offense, we are called to let it go. We are called, it says in the Bible, that love covers a multitude of sins. Love bears with one another. And so that happens all the time. If you're married, this is a practical laboratory in life that you're able to experience because we tend to irritate each other from time to time. I don't know if you know that to be true, but if you're married, your spouse can sometimes be irritating to you. And sometimes you will be irritating toward your spouse. I know this is a revelation. You didn't realize this, but this is just truth. It is reality. So we have this practical idea of being able to forgive. But if it is a major offense, even though you forgive, it doesn't mean that reconciliation will ever happen. If an offense has taken place, it doesn't mean that you are going to forget about it. It doesn't mean that you're going to trust them. You're not going to be okay with it. You're not going to justify their behavior. They have to be held accountable. And they will have to come and seek, forgive, uh, seek to making amends in order for the relationship to be reconciled. Yes, you have forgiven. I have forgiven, but I don't trust them. I have forgiven. I don't I have forgotten what they have done. I have forgiven. I can't justify what they have done. I have forgiven, but there isn't reconciliation. Reconciliation requires two parties, one who says I will seek amends and the other person who says I will extend forgiveness. Let's learn today about what it means to truly seek forgiveness or make amends in life. Let's pray for the sermon and start this sermon. Father, help us to hear from you. Help us to glorify you during this time. Lord, I pray that you would put it upon our hearts. If we have done something to offend, 
that you would show us that. I pray from this message today, Lord, that we would learn practical ways in order to work through this process in our lives. Teach us your truth. Be our teacher here today. We want to glorify you. We don't want to be glorified. We want you to be glorified. You are worthy of our praise, Lord, and we want to be in right relationship with you and as far as we can, be in right relationships with others. Help us, Lord, not only to forgive, but if we have done something, help us to seek forgiveness as well. Father, teach us now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. There was a story, and I want to read the actual transcript to you from this story. It was a story that happened in 1995, in October of 1995. It was off of the coast of Canada, off of the coast of Newfoundland. Uh, Off that coast, there was a U.S. Navy destroyer, and there was a conversation that was going on between the captain of this destroyer and the Canadian authorities. Here's how the transcript reads, and this is a real conversation. Here's Here's what it said. The U.S. ship on their call said this, please divert your course five degrees to the south to avoid a collision. The Canadian reply was this, Recommend that you divert your course 15 degrees to the south to avoid a collision. The U.S. ship responded in this way. This is the captain of a United States Navy warship. I say again, divert your course. The Canadian reply was this. No, I say again, you divert your course. The U.S. warship was mad at this point. We are a large warship of the United States Navy. Divert your course now. The Canadian reply, this is a lighthouse, your call. (laughs) Okay, think about it. Let the wheels turn just a minute. Now, that was an actual radio conversation. After that statement, the conversation was gone. It was, there was no more conversation that was had. Do you think the captain actually thought, oh, my goodness, I am sorry. Do you think he had in his mind, I really should say, please forgive me. I was wrong in the assumption that I made. That's probably what should have happened, but that's not what happened at all. The, the silence just happened. The radio silence came on, and it just went about the rest of their day. Part of taking responsibility of making amends is the ability to say, I was wrong, would you please forgive me? Again, if you're married, you have the opportunity to do that all the time. I'm sorry, I was wrong, would you please forgive me? In fact, it's one of the statements that I encourage husbands especially to memorize during their wedding process because they will have to say it a lot. Seeking forgiveness and making amends is the ability to admit that I was wrong. It is, the I was wrong in what I said, I was wrong in what I did, I was wrong in the way that I acted. There are several things that happen in making amends that we are going to explore today. Now, one of the most common verses that you hear with this idea of making amends is Matthew chapter 5, verse 24. Matthew 5, 24, it says this, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come out and present your offering. Now, the whole point of this or the statement of this is to understand what exactly is the context that Jesus is talking in. We are all about context when we study the Bible. We hopefully don't ever want to pull verses out of context. To study the Bible in context is the theological term called exegesis. It means out of 
pull the Bible out of the context that it was written in. Eisegesis is how most people approach the Bible, and that means in two. That's people reading verses into their current situation, which the Bible has nothing to say about that. So the question becomes, what is the context of what Jesus just said? Let me read you the context. You have heard, Jesus said, that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever commits murder shall be subject to judgment. But I tell you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be subject to judgment, and whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be subject to the council, and whoever says, you fool, shall be subject to fiery Gehenna, which is the word for hell. It was actually the garbage heap outside of the city where all of the refuse, dead animals, were thrown into and it was burned. It was constantly burning and crawling with worms all the time. That's the picture of Gehenna. What is Jesus saying? If you in your mind have blown up in anger, if you are angry with someone, you're guilty. If you have called them or said raka to them. Now, what is raka? Raka is the equivalent in that society of giving someone the middle finger. That's what raka is. It's saying certain words to them that are associated with giving somebody a certain finger on your hand. That's what raka is. If you have done that, if you have been angry with them, if you have said to them, you fool, which is equivalent to you're so stupid, you're an idiot, how could you possibly think that? That is what Jesus is saying. If you have done that, then therefore, if you're presenting your offering upon the altar and remember your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. In other words, if you have blown up in anger, if you have been offensive, if you have been hurtful, harmful, or painful to somebody, if you have been rude to somebody, if you have been unbecoming to somebody, if you've said something or done something, then go to them and make it right. Go to them and apologize. Go to them and have the relationship reconciled. The principle that Jesus makes is this, that I can't have a relationship with God if I have a wrong relationship with others because of my actions, my attitudes, or my behaviors. So, so that begs the question, have you done something that has been offensive? You've blown up in anger? You've flipped somebody off? You have said certain words to somebody. You have, you have said you, you're stupid, you're an idiot, you're a fool. Have you been hurtful or harmful or painful towards somebody else? And if that is the case, leave and go make amends before you come back with God. Because he wants you to make amends. That, that's the principle of what Jesus is saying. Paul said it this way. Therefore, I do my best always to have a clear conscience before both God and men. I can't control what they do, but I can control what I do. Do I have a clear conscience before God and other people in the way that I am living out my life? Or have I done something hurtful, offensive, harmful, and painful to others that I need to take responsibility for? If so, then the offender needs to listen to the other person's hurts, to their needs, to their desires, and prayerfully and practically care for that other person. 
The offender needs to go out of his or her way to demonstrate that they are trustworthy. They need to make restitution and even more sometimes. They need to go over and above and beyond what is obvious or what is expected. And if you're the offended party, you need to forgive. You need to bless those who curse you. Pray for them. Love them. Do good to them. Turn the other cheek. Keep no record of wrong. Always trust. Always love. And always hope. Well, today I'm going to give you three principles that you can use to do some, some, uh, some self-examination to determine, have I done anything and do I need to go and make amends with this other person? So let me give you three principles. Principle number one is look up. Principle number one is look up. Now, I'm going to give you two words with every one of these principles that I want you to remember. So it's very simple. Remember a simple principle and then two words. Here are the two words. Be teachable and self-reflective. That's what it means to look up. Be teachable and self-reflective. Now, the, the, uh, being teachable is one of the key components of being a healthy person in life. Being teachable means that I'm willing to learn and I know that I don't know everything already. The motto of the unteachable is this, my mind is made up, don't confuse me with the facts. That's what the motto of the unteachable is. My mind's already made up, don't confuse me with facts because I'm not willing to learn and I'm not willing to grow. If you wanna be who God wants you to be, you have to be teachable and self Reflective, self-reflective, meaning I'm willing to look within. Looking up is about pursuing God and saying to God, God, have I done anything? Have I messed up at all? Have I offended in any way? Have I done anything that you would not be happy with? Have I done anything? That's being teachable. Being self-reflective is willing to hear what God has to say in response to the questions that I'm asking. God, have I done anything? God, I will be open to whatever you're wanting to show me, and that's being self-reflective. The issue really in being unteachable is pride. Pride, one of the common words, you're going to hear this word a lot anymore, but one of the common words used for pride is the idea of narcissism. Have you heard that word before? Narcissist. They're a narcissist. I've heard other people even say, describing somebody else, well, they're a narcissist. Well, what is a narcissist? What does that mean? The idea of narcissism is to be self-absorbed. Do you know where this story came from of narcissists? It came from Greek mythology, and it came from a guy by the name of Narcissus. Narcissus was a guy walking through the woods. There were women throwing himself at this guy because he was so handsome and so good-looking. He was not giving them the time of day. In fact, one one of the women that were throwing themselves at Narcissus, her name was Echo, Echo was rejected by Narcissus, and she wandered around for the rest of her life through the woods, lonely, until she ultimately died, and all that was left of her was an echo. You ever heard that before? Echo. That's where that comes from. Narcissus was the guy she was pursuing. 
He was rebuffing all of the advances of the women that were coming after him because nobody could compare with his beauty. He was so handsome that he found a pool of water and he laid out over that pool of water so that he can look at himself and the reflection of himself. He would stare at himself all day long until ultimately he perished. That's where narcissist comes from. A narcissist is somebody who is not teachable. They're not self-reflective. It's all about them. They're full of themselves. You don't want to be that. In God's economy, you can't be that because that is what pride ultimately is. It is being self-absorbed. It's all about me. When I come to God, I am coming to God saying, God, I surrender to you. I want you to show me me. If there's anything that I need to change, if there's any amends I need to make, I'm willing to do so. Show me what I have done. Being teachable and being self Reflective. David says it this way in Psalm 139. This is his psalm of teachability and being self-reflective. He says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Examine me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any offensive way within me and lead me in the way everlasting. Proverbs 12.1, it says, Whoever loves knowledge loves correction, but whoever hates reproof is stupid. Do I love when God shows me things in my life that I need to, ch- need to change? I'll, I'll be honest with you. Uh, I'm going to just answer that question and say, I don't, I don't really love that. I don't really love the correction part of that, especially because it seems like this little thing, this little scenario is played out mostly at home with my wife because ultimately I will say or do something stupid, I will say a smart comment that I shouldn't have said. I will say something offensive that I shouldn't have said. I will say something hurtful that I shouldn't have said. And it's always her. It's never me. I just want you to know that. It's always her. It's never me. Well, that's not really the truth. The truth is, as soon as I start to pray, God, show me myself, what did I do here? Usually, I have to come to the conclusion that it was all me. It was not her at all. And then I need to go to her and I need to make amends. Being teachable, being self-reflective. Jesus addresses this in Matthew chapter 7. So, one of the most common verses, and you know, you've heard this so many times before. Jesus says, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the beam in your own eye? Or how will you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye? And look, the beam is in your own eye. Hypocrite. Remember the word hypocrite? It means actor. You're an actor. You're fake. Hypocrite. First take the beam out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Don't be a speck inspector. Be a, a beam identifier. Don't don't look for the specks in everybody else. Look for the beam, the log that is in your own eye that I need to work on. That's being teachable and self-reflective. Principle number two. Number two, number one, look up. Number two, look in. Okay, so, so here's what I mean by this. Look in. After God has shown you areas of your life that yes, you were hurtful. Yes, you were wrong. Yes, you did this. Then I've got to do something with it. 
I can't just let it linger out there. I've got to actually do something with what God has shown me, and that is looking in. And there's two words I want to give you with this. It is to be responsible and repentant. Take responsibility and be repentant in your life. That's what it means. Be responsible, take responsibility, and be repentant. Again, that is my job. When I have been shown by God what I have done, now it's time to take responsibility. Okay, God, I see this. I agree with you. I see my part in this. Now I need to do something with it. I need to repent of what I have done. I want you to picture it this way. In your marriage at home, you have a, you have a circle, a pie graph, and that circle represents 100% of the problem. It's the pie graph, 100% of the problem. What part of that problem is yours? You may say, well, my part of the problem is only 5%. His is 95%. Mine is 5%. Okay, then take responsibility for your 5%. Take responsibility for your sliver. You may not be responsible for it all, but take responsibility for what you can take responsibility for. Take responsibility and then be repentant. What is repentant? What is the idea of repentance? Repentance means to turn 180 degrees. I was going that way, now I'm going this way. I have done a U-turn in life. That's what repentance is. People often confuse repentance and remorse. Understand this. Repentance means that I am broken in my heart and I am sorrowful for what I have done. Repentance is I feel horrible about this and I don't want to be like this anymore. That's repentance. Remorse is I'm sorry that I got caught. Many people in life are remorseful. They're sorry they got caught, but they don't feel sorry for what they did. You can't have reconciliation without repentance. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians, for the grief that God wills brings a repentance that leads to salvation, leaving no regret. But the world's grief brings death. What is he talking about? He's talking about when I really see what I have done, it breaks my heart and I am truly repentant. God's sorrow breaks my heart and I am truly repentant. If you're not truly repentant, reconciliation will never occur. You will be sorry that you got caught. It's kind of like this. We have two police officers sitting in the front row. These police officers... If they pulled me over, one of them actually has, uh, we won't go into that, but there was a one time that this person actually, and it was not me, it was him, he was just, had it out for me, you know, like a typical police officer. Let's say one of these guys pulled me over, I was speeding, I was going uh, 70 in a 55 mile per hour zone, and he pulls me over, and he comes to the window, and in, I regret getting caught. So what I would do then is if I regret getting caught and he comes to the window, I would, I would have an attitude. I would say, you're such a jerk. You know, how could you pull me over? I'm busy. I got things going on. Why don't you go out and do some real investigation instead of this? Why are you picking on us? That kind of attitude. That's regret. I feel bad that I got caught, but I don't feel bad that I was speeding. Repentance is... 
I feel sorry that I broke the law. I feel sorry that I was doing this. Thank you, officer, for doing your job. I appreciate the work that you do. I appreciate you looking out for our community. I'm so sorry that I did this. My heart is actually feels bad because I don't really want to do what's wrong. There's a difference between repentance and regret. And an officer probably appreciates repentance more than they appreciate regret and attitude. God expects us to take responsibility. It was me. I'm the one. I did it. And then be repentant. And I am so sorry for what I have done. My heart is broken over the things that I have done. Acts 3.19, it says this, Repent therefore, turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. There are a lot of people that are sorry they got caught or sorry, kind of, that they did something, but they don't really feel repentance. Reconciliation doesn't happen until repentance takes hold. 1 John 1.9 nine. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. Let, let, me, let me make one quick final note about this. And the, the note is about false guilt. Okay, just understand false guilt. Some of us feel guilty when we haven't done anything wrong. Are, are you one of those people? You feel guilty all the time and you didn't do anything wrong. Because we have been trained with false guilt. I have people that I know who will say, I'm sorry, all the time. They say it constantly. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And they didn't do anything wrong. But they're constantly saying, I'm sorry. And that's because they have been trained through life's dysfunction to take responsibility for everything when they haven't actually done anything. Do you understand what I mean by this? And here's the picture of this. Here's the illustration. Stephen's angry with me. Stephen here on the front row. He's angry with me. It, this will teach you to sit on the front row, okay? He's angry with me. And he comes and he blows up at me. I haven't done anything, but he's just in a bad mood. He comes and he blows up. I, maybe I didn't meet one of his expectations that he had. Maybe I didn't, I, I didn't uh, you know, I didn't come through the way he thought I should, I really didn't do anything wrong, but he's just angry. And he comes and he blows up at me, and then he punches me. And then he walks away. Now, he would never do this, but I'm just, hypothetically. He punches me, and then he walks away. And now I go after him and apologize to him for him punching me. That's false guilt. I didn't do anything wrong. And some people are like that. People emotionally punch you. You didn't do anything wrong, but now you go and you apologize to them because you've been trained that way. And that is what dysfunction is. That's not what God is calling us to do. God is calling us to take responsibility when it's really us. And it behooves us to pray about and think about and ask God, what did I do? Did I really do anything? If I did, I will take responsibility. If I didn't, then I need to, I need to forgive and let them do the work. Does it make sense? I hope it does. Principle number three. We'll close with this. Number one, look up. Number two, look in. So God has shown me some stuff. Now I'm looking in and I realize, oh, I need to take responsibility and I need to be repentant. And then number three, I have to look out. 
Now, what look out means is this. It's not beware. It's not, you know, watch out. Looking out means to look to them now. I look up, God shows me. I look in and I'm repentant and responsible. Now I look out and I do the work that I need to do. Two more words. This is going to take humility and reconciliation. Humility. It's one of the things that goes against the pride that people struggle with. Humility says, it's not all about me. And in humility, I will humble myself and go to them, and it will be uncomfortable, and I don't really like having to do this, because then I have to admit I'm wrong, and I don't like to admit I'm wrong, but in humility, I will go to them, and I will say, please forgive me, I am so sorry for what I have done. I feel horrible about what I have done, would you please forgive me? When that happens, now there is an opportunity for reconciliation to occur. They have to forgive, but I have to seek forgiveness in order for amends to be made. In this picture of Philemon and Onesimus, Onesimus had to humble himself and go back to Philemon and say, I'm sorry. Now, Onesimus could have just run away. Onesimus could have said, Paul, no, you're wrong. I'm not going to do that. But Onesimus humbled himself, went back to his master's house, and said, I am sorry. I should have not done that. Would you please forgive me? Now, we don't know exactly how the story ends, but most likely there was reconciliation that happened because Philemon was a follower of Christ. And Philemon most likely said to Onesimus, yes, you are forgiven. All is well. All has now been reconciled. But it takes humility. Now, if God shows you that you have not committed an offense, then it goes on the other person. It's your job to forgive. But if he shows you, yes, you have done this, go in humility and make things right as much as you have opportunity to. Ephesians 4.2, it says, with complete humility and gentleness, with patience, putting up with one another in love. Paul writes it this way in Philippians. He says, do nothing out of selfishness or conceit, but with humility, humbly go before them. With humility, consider others as more important than yourselves, looking out not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. James 5, 16, it says, so confess your offenses to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous person is very powerful. So, as we wrap up this series, the question is, do you have somebody in your life that you know that you have offended? Now, that offense, according to what Jesus was talking about, is have you hurt them? Have you been harmful? Have you blown up at them? Have you shamed them? Have you ridiculed them? Have you cussed them out? Have you gone after them? Have you done what is wrong and hurtful? God may say, yes, you have. He also may say, no, you didn't. If he says, no, you didn't, then why are you trying to go and you trying to apologize for something you didn't do? They have to take ownership. If you have been shown something by God that, yes, you have done this, now take responsibility and be repentant. God, I'm sorry. I don't want to be like that. That's not who I am. It's not who I want to be. I want to follow you. Once you've been repentant, now you go to them in humility in order to seek reconciliation. Doesn't mean it's going to happen, 
But you on your part, go to them and seek reconciliation if you have done something to offend. If you haven't, but they have offended you, hurt you, you have to forgive. Forgive, let it go. Don't seek justice against them. Seek prayer and reconciliation if at all possible. That's the picture and the story of Philemon. Now I'm hoping that God has really been laying on your heart that people, maybe people in your life that you need to forgive. You've not forgiven, you need to forgive. Doesn't mean you trust them. Doesn't mean you'll have a relationship, but you have forgiven them. Maybe now he's laying on your heart people that you need to go to and be reconciled with because you have been the offender in the situation. And if that's so, my hope for you is that you will heed God's call, listen to his warning, and make sure things are right as far as it depends upon you. Let's pray as we close. Father God, help us to be people who seek after reconciliation if possible. If we have done something offensive to someone else, show us that. Help us to see that. If we have blown up in anger, if we have raged, Lord, if, we have been if we've been hurtful, if we've been harmful, if we have done something, Lord, that has been um, disastrous, help us to make things right. If we haven't, Lord, help us to come to the point where we can truly forgive from our hearts so that we can feel clean, so that we can do as Paul said, as far as it depends upon him, he wants to have a clear conscience before both God and man. Help us to do the same. Lord, we thank you for loving us, for being with us today. Thank you for this time where we can worship you because you are worthy of our praise. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Hey, Amen. thanks for listening to that message. We hope that it inspired you to trust the Lord, to treasure people, and to transform our world with the saving gospel message of Jesus Christ. If God is leading you to give to Journey, head to our website, journeychurchgillette.com and hit the give icon in the bottom right-hand corner. Your gift helps us to continue providing resources like this every single week. Also, be sure to follow us on social media and check out our website for updates and additional information. Hey, God bless you guys and have a great day.